Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So I want to talk about living on the edge and the mission challenge to all of Asia because we're living in Asia and the challenge is Asia. So I don't know how many of you have say been to Indonesia, praise the Lord. Oh, a few. <laughs> How many have you been to the Philippines? A few. How about India? Okay, a oh, one, praise the Lord, one, two. How about China? Most of you. How about Korea? Okay, Japan. Well, there's a great challenge in Asia. Before I get into this challenge, We know this scripture, we love it. In Psalms 126, verse 5 to 6, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When I was young in the Pentecostal movement in America, we'd sing this song all the time. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. So at that time, I thought, what would it be like to go to Asia and bring in the sheaves, bring in the harvest, bring in the fruit for the Lord? We need to bring them in. It's the time of the harvest. And But there's weeping. We sow with tears, as it says. We sow with tears and we will reap in joy. This is We're just praying, intercession. We pray, we intercede, we fast. And as we sow in tears, there's going to be a time that will come again with rejoicing. Well, successful evangelism is the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm Pentecostal, I speak in tongues, but I tell people the real sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is that you preach the gospel. That's what Jesus said. He said, you shall repent. See power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be witnesses to me. In Greek, the word actually became martyrs. You will become martyrs for me. There's two thoughts about that. Either it meant actually, as we do today, witnesses just to be a testimony. But so many people in the first century died for the Lord, all of the apostles with the exception of John, that they begin to think the word witness was martyr. But maybe actually Jesus meant that you will be martyrs for me when you receive the Holy Spirit. In China, we love to sing the Word of God from the Shandong Revival in 1932. They begin to sing the Word of God and we sing many like in China, we would sing like Psalms 150. If you've been to house church in China, you know it. And we sing that over and over. Another one we sing is this, is Acts 1-8. Now, That came from the Shandong Revival in the 1930s, so the music was different. Now we sing, you know, the Canaan song, This is written by Sister Xiaoming. 
She received the Holy Spirit when I prayed for her. She was 16 years old, and God gave her a gift of writing songs, and she's written over 1,800 songs that are sung all over China, even in the official churches. But these songs that we're singing actually were from the Bible, and they have hundreds of portions from the Bible that they sing. Well, I love Acts 1-8, and I love to talk about revival and missions. True revival leads to evangelism and missions. So the gospel ministry began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and then later on the church at Antioch sent missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, to other places, and they went to uh, what we call uh, Asia Minor. In the Bible, it's called Turkey today. And when Paul was in Turkey praying, he had a vision from a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Macedonia, of course, is in Europe. So the gospel didn't continue to go to the east, which it might have gone, but it went to the west. It went to Europe. And then after the Reformation, of course, the Bible then went to North and South America, Africa, and other places in the 19th century. The gospel from the West then began to come back to Asia. Praise the Lord. And now there's so many Christians in Asia with a vision to take the gospel back to Jerusalem to reach all of the nations between Asia and Israel. And this, of course, is fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Asian Christians were completing the Great Commission. The gospel began in Jerusalem. It went around the world. It's in Asia where the great revivals of Korea, China, Indonesia, even God's moving in Hong Kong, praise the Lord. And through your church and other churches, God is raising the missionaries to take the gospel back to the Middle East, to the uh, Muslim nations, Hindu nations, and eventually to the Jews in uh, Israel. And so, uh, of course, there is persecuted persecution. There's unprecedented persecution now. But spirit-filled missionaries are going to all these nations. Now, what is our goal? To reach the unreached peoples groups in these nations. And there's many of them. Like China, we have uh, so we have 56 uh, ethnic groups. The largest is Hanzu, the Han Chinese. And there's another 55 that compose 85 million people. And a lot of them, like the Tibetans, the Mongolians, the Uyghurs, hardly have any Christians at all. Some do have Christians, like Yunnan, we have Miaozu, Baizu. Last night I was on uh, internet on a Zoom conference with Vietnam, and it was uh, called the Hmong. Hmong. It's a group, and actually in China they're called, the Hmong people are called Miao. And many of them are Christians, praise the Lord. And actually this group, this 50% are Christians in Vietnam. Praise the Lord. So some are reached, but some are not reached. And then we want to bring the message uh, to the Hindus, the Buddhists, the communists, especially the Muslims. And the goal is to reach the Jews in Israel, God's people. And this is called the Gospel Silk Road Vision. And the nations are Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, Korea, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, India, India Vietnam, and many others. So through the Silk Road, uh, back in uh, around the time of the 6th century, the major world religions, Islam, Buddhism, entered China and then spread 
through China, all of China. It was originally in Dunhuang. Dunhuang is, you may have been there before, it's where they have a, a Buddhist monastery of ancient. But it spread throughout all of China and then throughout all of Asia. And now, through the Gospel Silk Road, the Gospel is spreading from China and from our Asian nations back to the other nations. Now, Jesus in Matthew 9, we see his ministry. Jesus went to the cities, the cities, the villages. He taught in the synagogues what we do. We teach in the church. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is not just proclamation, it's demonstration. Because it says he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. And he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He saw the potential. These, these are my sheep, and, but they don't have any shepherd. So he said to the disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He didn't say pray for the harvest. The harvest is right. Now, we can pray for people in different nations and different people's groups. That because it's the time of the harvest, the great need is not to pray for the harvest for the people, but to pray for the laborers. Because in this time of harvest, when you preach the gospel, people will believe. So we need more laborers. Now, Jesus went to Samaria just to minister to one woman and give her the living water as well as the revelation that he was the Messiah. Another revelation that God is a spirit. Those that worship must worship in spirit and truth. This greatest revelation was given to this immoral woman who repented and believed in Jesus. And then as He's talking with the woman. Uh, his disciples come, and then she goes into the village to preach the gospel. And his disciples say, Rabbi, we have some food for you to eat. It was noontime. He said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said, someone brought him food. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was the passion of his life. That's why he had to go just for this one woman. Well, then she told the people about Jesus and the people believed. And then they came out and they invited Jesus to the village. And he was there for two weeks preaching the gospel. That was the reason he had to go there. Praise the Lord. And then he said to his disciples, don't say there's four months and then comes the harvest. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for their white to harvest. That's what I'm doing this sharing this morning for you to lift up your eyes, to look on the harvest field in Hong Kong and China throughout Asia. And then he talks summer sowing and summer reaping. And he said, you guys are going to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, but you've entered into their labors. And I thank the Lord that we're in the time of harvest. You know, the early missionaries came. Robert Morrison, 1807, took seven years to get one convert. You know what his name was? Chai Gao. He was a Macanese that did the uh, printing, and uh, Chai Gao took seven years to get one convert. Now, if you go to China, if you're witnessing to people in Hong Kong, you may be able to lead someone to the Lord in seven minutes if you really know how to speak to them, because it's the time of the harvest. Others have labored, we're entering into their labors. Now, in every revival. Missionaries were sent to every major people's group in the world. You know about the Moravian uh, missionaries that they actually sold themselves as, uh, as slaves and they went to the West Indies. And when later on actual missionaries came, there were already tens of thousands of Christians and they were slaves. They did that so there was only way to go into the West Indies. 
because it was controlled by a certain French uh, businessman that they would not let uh, missionaries arrive. After the 18th century Great Awakening, missionaries went to the nations. Uh, Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission in uh, about 1885, he was a result of that Great Awakening. Missionaries went to Africa. And then, of course, from the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, missionaries went all over the world. Of course, South America, and I'm quite often on Zoom conferences with people in South America. There's a great revival there. But what missionaries do, they bond with the people. They become one with them in their language and their culture and their dress. And then they present the eternal con uh, gospel in the context of the people's culture and their language. And I'll be sharing about my own experience in that way. Now, Asia is our wider mission field. In all of Asia, which of course would include uh, Russia and these nations, 59% of the world's population live. There's 7.83 billion people in the world. 59% of them now live in Asia. So we have the Gospel Silk Road, Dunhuang of Christianity. So Buddhism came to Dunhuang, and you may have been to Silk Road before and visit. I visited several times. But now, from this part of China, the gospel is going to other nations. So we have a phrase in our ministry, Mission for China and China for missions. We want to reach the Chinese wherever they are, and then we pray the Chinese can then send the gospel to the other nations. Let me just briefly tell you my story. Uh, my parents were Methodists in America. The Methodists, at least where I was, don't preach the gospel, don't believe the Bible, don't believe in miracles, don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They're very liberal. So I never really heard the gospel, but I was baptized when I was a baby because the Methodists baptize, you know, babies. And but three years old, I begin to pray. I prayed every night. By five years old, I would recite Psalms 23 in the Lord's Prayer when I prayed. So this is a picture when I was a baby. Okay, so that was in, actually in Washington. Uh, and when I was five years old, there was a Chinese family that immigrated from China to uh, the United States in Washington, and uh, uh, I became his friend. He invited me to his house, and uh, no one spoke English, and he didn't speak much English, and I, of course, going to speak Chinese, but I was so impressed. Chinese have so much money. They have this expensive, <laughs> you know, in those days, who would immigrate to China, to America, but the very wealthy Chinese? You know, they had all this expensive, you know, uh, furniture, Ming Dynasty porcelain, and these uh, ping pong, these screens and everything. And, but there were no other Asians in the area, but I fell in love with the Chinese. In fact, at five years old, I just, oh, if I could only go to China. Well, that was the love of my life. Now, I come from a large family. I have four sisters and two brothers, some pictures when I was 13 years old and when I was 15 years old. And uh, I was the first one in my family to find the Lord, so I prayed for them. Now, how I found the Lord was uh, when I was 16 years old, I went uh, to a church. It was because a schoolmate preached the gospel to me, and uh, he said, my church has miracles. Does your church have miracles? Now, in America, if you're preaching the gospel, you ask someone, are you a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. We are Americans, you know. So he said... <laughs> Which they really are not, you know, very few are true Christians. He said, does your church have, of course, because my pastor said they were all finished in the Old Testament. They didn't even really happen in the Old Testament. They're just fairy tales. He says, well, my church has miracles. If you don't believe, come and see. So I went 
and people were speaking in languages. I studied some French. A girl, 16 years old my age, was speaking fluent French, and after I asked her, she didn't know a word of French. And they were speaking in Hebrew and other languages. And then I saw sick people healed. I never saw a sick person healed in a church. And when I saw those miracles, that night God spoke to me. And uh, God called me to be a preacher. I wanted to be a scientist. I was quite good in school and, you know, getting very good grades. And I wanted to be a scientist. But God said, I want you to be a preacher. And I refused his call for three months. And I didn't go back to the church after three, after three months because it was a long distance. And we had to go in uh, my schoolmate's his father's car. He, we had to drive like an hour. It was uh, uh, Brother Seth Mayno. We lived in Pomona, and this was in Almonte. So it was a long distance, you know. Uh, in those days, they didn't have the freeways that we have today. And so uh, uh, I struggled, and every night God would call me to preach, but I refused. And then I went back to the church the second time, and the pastor's wife had a word of knowledge. There was a young man that three months ago called, called you to preach the gospel. You must come forward and kneel down and repent and become a preacher. Otherwise, we're not going to have any more worship songs. We're not going to have the choir sing. The pastor will not speak and will not even take the offering. That's a great miracle, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and I was... She said, you know who you are, and I know who you are, but I'm not going to embarrass you. You must come forward. This is called the word of knowledge. Praise the Lord. She never, she maybe saw me the first time. I had no idea who I was. So I came forward, knelt down, and prayed. And the choir never sang. The pastor never preached. They didn't sing any songs. They didn't even take the offering because it became a big prayer meeting from 11.20 to 1.30. That church honored the Holy Spirit. Now, I wasn't the only person that was blessed. Many were blessed, but because of that, I began preaching the next day. Praise the Lord. And then we'd go out into the street every day. We would knock on the doors, give people gospel tracts, go on the street. I went to the red light district in L.A. and go into the missions there. They have a mission where they provide you food, but you had to be in the church at a certain time, like say 6 o'clock at 6 o'clock. They locked the door, but the church is packed because you come there to get food. That's the reason, you know. And so these are drunkards and people with other problems. So I began preaching them. Uh, we'd go into the bars. I remember one time I would go into a bar and we'd get up on a table because I, you know, you couldn't see otherwise. And I just tell the people, you're all going to die and we die. You're going to go to hell and there's uh, terrible torture, and you will be punished forever unless you repent now and believe in Jesus. Now, I told them that because I love them. If, if you love a person, you're going to tell them the truth, right? Just not say, God bless you, Jesus loves you, you know, believe in Jesus. They will not do that because, because you know, they, well, we're living in America. And uh, so some of the people <laughs> believed, right? <laughs> some people actually believed. But one big black man about, he was probably 250 pounds, six feet at least tall, he said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you today. And so I was quite thin then, and I began to run out in the street, and he was chasing me, you know, and I was running a little bit faster because he's a big guy, you know. And finally, a policeman, what's going on? And the guy said, this man said, uh, I'm going to die and go to hell if I don't believe in Jesus, you know, and so I'm going to kill him. And the policeman say, uh, I, I believe you are going to go to hell. You're a bad guy. But if you kill this guy before you go to hell, you will go to prison. Huh? So, so anyhow, and then I wasn't killed. Otherwise, I've been a martyr. I was 18 years old. Later on, I was uh, preaching uh, in the 
beach area in Costa Mesa, and there was a big, like a riot, because there were so many people. And uh, after that, the police arrested me and my friends for preaching without a license. And we actually had to go to court, but praise the Lord, I had a good lawyer. I didn't have to go to prison. So that was the first time I was arrested in America for preaching the gospel. But I love to preach the gospel, praise the Lord. Well, anyhow, so I witnessed to my family and prayed for my family. And on my wedding, my uh, brother, Doug, I invited him to be the best man. Is it called the best man, huh? And so he came and art was a revival wedding, you know, preaching and dancing and shouting and speaking in tongues and prophecy and everything. It was like a church service with a wedding in it, you know? And he was so impressed. He'd never seen that before. And he gave his life to the Lord and... He decided to be a preacher, and uh, both of my two brothers became preachers, and then eventually the whole family believed in the Lord. This is in San Diego at the Midway ship there that we took a couple years ago, my brothers and sisters, and uh, then they had children, the children had children, and now almost all of them are Christians. My father lived to 90 years old. He wasn't a preacher, but uh, his, my grandfather was a preacher. And so uh, this whole family's become Christians. Here we have a family reunion of 50 people. Once we had 70, and almost all of them believed in Jesus because I believed in Jesus. But I believed in Jesus because someone preached the gospel to me. So you never know, you preach the gospel to one person, how that will spread and many people will come to the Lord Jesus. So in Chinese we say, Xinhua Xiangchuan. So I give you the firewood and the fire. In English it's to pass on the baton. So we, it's a new generation. We received the vision and the anointing of the missionaries and the Chinese leaders that established the church. And then we pass on the baton. And I like this, yum soi si yun, sun fa sheng chun. So when you drink the water, you think of the origin. Where, where did this church come from? Uh, where do we get our Bible from? Uh, who came and preached the gospel here? What did they do? What sacrifice did they make? Can I learn from them? And then I need to receive the anointing and the vision and pass it on. So my pastor, Violet Kitely, uh, she started the church and sent me uh, to Hong Kong. And uh, this is a picture in 1961. And then she gave the mantle to her son, David, and his wife. And then he gave it to his son, Patrick. And then later on, Patrick went to another city, Atlanta, to start a church. And then he gave it over to his daughter, Melinda, and her husband, uh, Javier. And he's Spanish-speaking, so now our church in California has several thousand people, and they have one service in Spanish and one in English. And Pastor David just went to be with the Lord just a week ago, my pastor. He had a sickness in his body, and the Lord took him. But he was a great prophet, been around the world, and been to China, prophesied over with a group of ministers, over 2,400 people in eight days, gave them impartation in India and many, many nations, and he really loved us, and the Lord just took him last week. And yesterday we had a wonderful memorial service. It was online and we viewed it in America. So this is my uh, family several years ago, uh, two children, a daughter and a son. My son is single and he's living in America now. And uh, then I have a grandson and a, a granddaughter. And then my granddaughter got married and her name is Katie. And this is the family with my son-in-law and my daughter. And we're all Chinese speakers, of course. And then uh, Katie, uh, she got married, and so she's going to have a baby this week, I think, or next week. So my, so I will be a great, great grandfather. So I will have a great, great grandson. Praise the Lord. 
and they studied at, uh, in Boston at uh, the Berkeley uh, School of Music, so they're right well-trained, and they're using, serving the Lord in music. Okay, now, so I was called to go to mainland China. God called me when I was 16 years old. I wanted to be a missionary and go overseas to preach the gospel, but China was closed. No foreigners can enter China, and no foreigner would even want to go to China because you couldn't go into China, and Christianity was illegal. But when I was doing my homework, I saw a picture of a Chinese boy, black and white, in the encyclopedia. And I heard God say, I want you to go to mainland China and to preach the gospel to him. So I knew then that I was called to go to China. And then I had this promise in Psalms 2.8, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So this uh, blonde-headed guy praying beside his bed is me. And I was praying, Oh, Lord, give me China. And the Lord not only gave me China, but gave me many, many nations. And then I first of all studied at the Seminary of God Bible School in Costa Mesa. And Seth would know about all these areas. And uh, Brother Bo would know that in uh, Bethany Chapel Bible School in Long Beach. And then Shiloh Bible College in Oakland, which is my own home church. Well, no one thought that you could go to China because China was closed. And so if I told people, they say, hey, you're crazy. You, no one can go to China, you know. <laughs> so, but many people didn't know me prophesied that I would go to China. Like David Schock, he of course passed away a long time ago. But he predicted in 1963, I would go to Red China, to mainland China. And uh, I later went to Vietnam. I'll share that in a minute. He confirmed that God would protect me and I would not be injured because I was going to go to China. And he also prophesied the war would spread from uh, South Vietnam to North Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, and that U.S. would lose the war, which happened. So in Vietnam, I knew about that. So I had to join the Army, otherwise I would have gone to prison for five years, which I didn't want to do. So I was forced to join the Army in 1966, and I was ordained by my pastor, a woman, before I went. And then uh, God, uh, through Vietnam, actually led me to go to China. See, so uh, I wanted to be a uh, scientist, but God wanted me to be a missionary and go to China. You couldn't go to China. So the Lord sent me to Vietnam, and I was a missionary, but the U.S. government paid for my expenses, paid for my ticket. And that was when I had the first experience with Vietnamese and Chinese. But before that, I had to receive military training in Fort Bliss in Texas, and we got on a plane, and the engine caught on fire. All the men were soldiers, of course, and, and then the plane went into turbulence, and everybody said, we're going to die. And I said, you guys might die, but I'm not going to die. Why? I'm going to go to China. I'm going to be a missionary. So I said, would you please pray for us? And I did. You know, if you're on a plane and if it's going to crash, that's the best time to preach the gospel. <laughs> Everybody wants to be prayed for, you know. Well, the plane didn't crash. It almost did, but it took off after we landed. And a few hours after that, it crashed. And uh, almost uh, 83 people died on the very same plane. Uh, the same plane a few hours later. It didn't crash, not because I was better than anybody, but God wanted to send me to China. So I went to Vietnam and I was did my best to preach the gospel to the Americans and the Chinese soldiers there. So this is my camp where I was working actually at a job as a cook, but I was trained as an infantry. The reason was because uh, all of, I was actually very minor 
cook, you know, uh, like a private. But when I got there, I was made a sergeant in like a week because all the guys above me had been killed. Because when we were in the camp, the Viet Cong would send the mortars in and they get up in the morning to cook the breakfast and they died. So I was made a sergeant. I didn't want to be one, you know, but uh, that was my position. So, uh, but sometimes we'd have to do drills and go out with our weapons. And we're at this military base in Pleiku. Just last night I was online with the Christians and they're called the Hmong. And they actually live in that area in the Central Highlands, just a few miles from where my base was. And they were very happy that I lived there. And this is our military camp. And there was a place called Sin, Sin City Anke because there was so much prostitution and drugs and everything. So when I could, I would go there and, and I had some Vietnamese tracks and preach the gospel and tell the people about the Lord, do my best to evangelize. And many people died. You perhaps have seen these pictures, you know, just terrible war, a terrible fighting. And many, many people needlessly died in that war. And many of them were American soldiers. I was with the first Air Cavalry unit. And these are some of the people in my unit. And they're being a evacuated because uh, some have been injured. Most of the people believe in Buddhism, and so we try to witness to them. It's not very easy, but we can do our best. And uh, actually, my first trip for missions was to Mexico when I was young. And this is my second trip was to go to Vietnam. And I'd go into the villages and we'd get food because I worked in the kitchen and give it to the people. Uh, their parents had actually been killed. We got there and because of a napalm strike, by, I don't know who was that did it, but the parents were killed. So we gave them food and prayed for them. And uh, I lived in this little house here on the left-hand side made out of sandbags. And uh, these are Viet Cong that are being arrested. So if I could, I would go and uh, tell them, don't be worried, I'll pray for you. You're going to get out of this problem because they just suspected they were Viet Cong. And uh, I had two weapons. I had the four... Uh, close combat, a 45 caliber pistol, and then for long combat, I had a grenade launcher, you see, because the grenade launcher only activates after about five to eight meters, and so if someone is close to you, you need to have a pistol. But I determined I wasn't going to kill anybody, so I didn't take any bullets or any ammunition, but I had the sword of the spirit. I had the Bible, and everywhere I went, I preached the gospel, you know. <laughs> see, I told the guys, don't kill anybody unless for self-defense. There's no wrong with defending yourself because this was an unjust war. We didn't even know why we're there. Even today, people don't know why we went to Vietnam. It was an unjust war, and so many people needlessly died. And anyhow, I wanted to tell people about Jesus, and I would rather have them kill me than me to kill another person because, because if I kill them, they will never have a chance to go to heaven. If they kill me, I can go to heaven. See, that's how I thought. Well, in that war, uh, uh, there were a total of uh, 100 and, uh, excuse me, there were a total of uh, uh, 58,000 Americans that died. And uh, it, it was terrible, but there were more Vietnamese. So altogether, 1.3 million people died in that war that was really, uh, didn't have to happen. But my pastor prophesied that the United States would uh, be defeated. And this, of course, happened in uh, May of 1975. And the plane that I went to Vietnam had 120 soldiers. The majority, about 90, had been killed. The rest, except for me, maybe one or two others, had been injured. I didn't even have an injury, not because I was better than them, but because God protected me. Well, I came to Hong Kong on furlough in 1967. 
and there were riots in the street and, uh, you know, petrol bombs. And it was actually worse than it was a couple of years ago, you know, and because they were killing people. There were over 50 people that died and hundreds of people that injured in these riots. And so uh, that time, I wrote to a missionary that I would be coming. His name was Paul Collins, and he never wrote back. And all we had was the P.O. box, and I didn't know how to find him. We didn't have cell phones or Facebook in those days. But I took the Star Ferry. That was before they had the tunnel. went from Kowloon to Hong Kong, and he sat right beside me, second class. Second class was 10 cents, Hong Kong, and first class was 20 cents. So things were cheaper then, but uh, actually because of the wages uh, because of the rise in the fair. That's what caused the riots in 1967. So God brought him to sit beside me out of four million people at Hong Kong. Came and sat right beside me. He didn't know where I was, but God led him and he began to prophesy. And he said, it looks bad in Hong Kong because of, of the riots and all the missionaries left, but God would protect Hong Kong as a free base for the gospel. And that I would come back to Hong Kong and set up a church and I would be the first missionary to go to China. He gave me this prophecy. That was the end of 1967, 1968. Later on, after we set up the church and after the Vietnamese War, there were many refugees. There were about 700,000 boat people. Among them, about 400,000 died at sea. Many of them were Chinese-speaking uh, uh, Vietnamese that came here, a lot of them from South Vietnam, from Cholong, that area is a part of Saigon, if you know Vietnam. And 200,000 came to Hong Kong. And praise the Lord, our church was the main church that could work with the refugees in the religious services in the camps. And so we were able to, every week, many missionaries, we'd go there and preach the gospel and give them uh, scriptures and help them. And many of them came to our church and some are still coming to our church after so many years. Praise the Lord. Well, going back to me, I arrived in Hong Kong because of that prophecy. In 1967, I studied Cantonese at New Asia College, Sun Shu Yun. But I couldn't study more than three months because I had no money. So I decided to study Cantonese by myself and my gospel my, my text was the Gospel of John. So I begin in John chapter 1, verse 1. Tai cho yao do, do yu san tong choi. And after studying for three months, I've been to Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, about seven months, I decided I would start a church in the Western District, which there were Hosil Guailo, Momia Guailo. I was one of the only foreigners that was there, you know. Uh, 60,000 people, only a few churches and no other missionaries. And so I rented a small office of 500 square feet. And the rent was $500, Hong Kong. At that time, I was getting 100 US dollars from the church in America, and the exchange rate was 4.9. And so I would get $490, but the rent was $500. And so I had to really live by faith. I had no place to live because all the money went for the rent of the church. But I had a, there was a bathroom, it was an office, and there was a bathroom, a kind of elongated one. So I put a, a little door in front of the toilet, and I lived in the bathroom for two years. When I got married, I asked my wife, would you like to live with me in the bathroom? She said, no way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So that was our first church. And uh, I was teaching uh, English Bible at a middle school, and I invited the eight students to come to the first meeting. And I'd only been in Hong Kong for seven months, and I just preached a simple sermon in Cantonese from God's God, John's Gospel, and they all believed in Jesus. And then they said, what should we do? And I didn't know how to talk about the Holy Spirit because I hadn't read the book of Acts. But I said, Nadi Fan Oke Keito, go home and pray. So they went home and prayed, and the 
Next week they came back and said, we were praying and we begin to speak in another language. What is that? And so I asked my interpreter, Esther, what, what are they talking? Oh, they, they were praying and they begin to speak in tongues. I said, oh, that's what I wanted to tell you about, but I didn't have the vocabulary because I only studied the Gospel of John, not the book of Acts. So from the beginning, our church was a spirit-filled church, but those days we were opposed as being a cult. Like in the theological seminary, they would say revival church, our church, and even Yonggi Cho of Korea, they're heretics because they speak in tongues. There was tremendous resistance in those days, even in some Pentecostal churches, to speaking in tongues. But we did not care about that because we were there to preach the gospel anyhow. And then after two years, I decided I needed a wife. So I went home. I went back to America, not home, to get married. And uh, I found a wife. And after dating just for two weeks, I proposed to her. And she said, wow, hope I, uh, it's too, too quickly. And I said, yes, yeah, so hope I found life. Jesus is coming back soon. So... <laughs> <laughs> So she said yes after two weeks, you know, and, uh, you know, can't wait, you know, it's so urgent. <clears throat> so we got married on my birthday, so I never forget my anniversary. That's a good thing. Now, she was raised in Thailand. Her mother tongue was Thai, and then she lived in India, but uh, she didn't speak, uh, of course, Chinese. And so uh, I said... Uh, uh, you're getting married to a Chinese. And so uh, I told her, I learned seven months I could learn Chinese. I give you one year. And so that was 50 years ago. We came to Hong Kong. And so I gave her one year for the last 49 years. Me and my wife had not spoken once in English, not once. And I've never in my life spoken English with my children. Because we are Chinese. Why should we speak in English? They can learn English. Anyone can learn English. But I want my family to be Chinese. Praise the Lord. And so in 1978 was the uh, opening policy. And I was perhaps the first missionary to go to Guangzhou because I think I was on the first tour group at that time. And there were many Christians even after 30 years of the closed-door policy and the numbers of believers had increased many, many times, several million Christians, and um, the church opened, but only house churches. It was only 79 before they opened the first Three South Church. And we found that the Red Guards destroyed all of the Christian books. And so we got $700 uh, offering for Bibles, and I used it to buy Bibles, and we began the uh, China ministry that we call Donkeys for Jesus, and we've delivered many millions of Bibles into China. Uh, you can see this on the right-hand side. There's a vest. This is called a Bible vest. You can put 40 whole Bibles right on your body. You only do this in the wintertime when you can put an overcoat on. You know, it doesn't look very appropriate in the summertime. But you can put 40 whole Bibles right on your body. So even if they take the Bibles from your luggage, you can still get 40 Bibles into China, praise the Lord. And uh, we used to do that. And so that was one of our main ministries. And every week we'd have many dozens, sometimes a few hundred people come to take Bibles, okay? And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Well, the Lord blessed us. We purchased uh, the Kwai Fong Theater in 1997. And uh, they actually, they wanted to sell it to us for $35 million. And... Uh, uh, the man who owned it was Run Run Shaw, a movie maggot. So I wrote to him and I said, Mr. Shaw, we don't have 35 million, but I want you to sell it to us for 13.4 million. 
because we talked with them about that before, but they said, oh, no, no, that's too cheap, you know. And I says, Mr. Shaw, I will pray for you, and you will live to have a long life. God will give you a whole turn salad. So the next day, his secretary called up, Mr. Shaw wants to sell it to you at your price. Praise the Lord, $13.4 million, praise the Lord. And we got it, and uh, he lived to be 107 years old. So that's a good way for you next time, Brother Seth, you want to get property. You know you can use this kind of a bank. <laughs> Give me this building for one million and I will pray for you will live a long time. Well, let's talk a little bit about China, the revival in China. There's a model for the 21st century and world missions. These are actually in one Joe. They say one Joe has about 15% of Christians. You know, the people in one Joe are called the Jews of Asia. Woman Shua. So the Chinese are the Jews of, of Asia, but the Wenzhou people are the Jews of China. Uh, we have a church in uh, Paris, a revival Christian church, many hundreds of people, and they're almost all from Wenzhou because they're the businessmen. So the gospel really blesses people. The gospel will make you prosperous. It will make you strong. So these are some of the churches in one Job. Well, these are some of the early missionaries, Richard Timothy, and of course, Sutton Taylor, and Lodi Moon. Uh, they all have tremendous testimonies. They will not take the time to go through them. John Sung was a spirit-filled uh, Methodist that led 100,000 people to the Lord, not only in China, but in Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, you know, Malaysia, many places, had a powerful ministry. And Shi Sheng was uh, led to the Lord by Richard Timothy. He was a drug addict, and he had a ministry among drug addicts back in the 20th century. And of course, Hudson Taylor started the China Inland Mission in which hundreds of missionaries went to China. Now, Henan was where we've done most of our work. It has a population of over 100 million people. And uh, uh, former missionaries like Hudson Taylor, they focused their work there. Now, the Communist Party aimed to make it completely atheist. I learned this from the Christians. And there was such terrible persecution. But it backfired on them. Because you persecute the church, what happens? The church... Christians will come together in their homes. They will pray. They will pray. Maybe they have no preacher, but at least they can pray. And what happens when they pray? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They not only speak in tongues, but they get boldness to go out and preach the gospel. And then they have gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they heal the sick. They cast out devils. They raise the dead. And that's what happened in Henan province. Because of persecution, it led to prayer, which led to the Holy Spirit that led to revival. These are some of the house church meetings in Henan that have done much of my work there for uh, the last several decades, praise the Lord, uh, teaching the word. This is my daughter, who's, she speaks better Chinese than mine because her mother tongue, of course, is Cantonese. And then when God called her, when the brother Yun, the heavenly man, prayed for her, she was only 15 years old. And uh, she had a call to China like I did. And then she went to Taiwan to Bible school, so her uh, Chinese is better than ours. But we had to disguise in those days. So I'd have to disguise like a dead person. They'd have these uh, carts that they would carry dead people to bury, and kind of like a coffin, but not like the coffin you see at the funeral parlor today. So they would put the dead people in these carts and cover them up and take them to bury them. And so we had to do that many times. And uh, even today, you're going to China as so a if you're like me, you know, have blue eyes and blonde hair, 
you stand out with the people, so you had to find some ways to disguise yourself. So one time in 1993, uh, we were in a meeting, and they said the police are coming, and so they put me in the, the particular coffin cart and covered me up and took me out of the door. And just as I'm going out the door, the police are coming, and they say, what happened? Well, this man died, and, uh, you know, and so we're going to go and bury him. And, uh, and then the police, they were kind of suspicious. I want to see who this man is, because they were coming to arrest me, you know. But the guy said, no problem, but you know how I died? It's not my friend, he's your friend. He had the AIDS virus, and so he said, don't you dare open that casket, you know. So uh, we, we escaped, me and another girl, we escaped, and it was quite, and they arrested the people, and put them in prison, but they evangelized the prison, and many came to the Lord, and that was a Xiaoming received many of the songs. But a year after that, then they came with many dozens of policemen. Uh, this was 1994, and Li Peng, the hardline prime minister, just made a new law about foreigners preaching in China. They had no law before that at all. You could preach, but you had to get permission from so many different uh, authorities that would never be given to you. So I was the first guy to get arrested uh, under that law, and there were six of us from, from Hong Kong and Indonesia, and it became world news, and eventually I went and I was able to uh, share what happened to me in the Congress. I met the uh, Secretary of State. I went to England. I spoke in the House of Lords, but they're all asleep, those guys, you know. They're not very active audience, the House of Lords, but I was <laughs> interviewed on the BBC and able to preach the gospel on the BBC in Putonghua for this is a really amazing thing that happened. So every time there was persecution, there was revival. Well, the heavenly man, Brother Yoon, and uh, this were meeting in the cave because there was such persecution that they couldn't even meet in their home. They go deep into the cave, and this is his wife who's uh, with me in the cave. We'd be there for three or four days, and uh, these are some of the other meetings that we would teach the people. You usually preach about 10 hours a day. The people are so hungry for the word. You'll be in one place for four to five days and then go to another place. For we did this for many years. And Brother Yoon, of course, is very famous. He's now in Germany serving the Lord, suffered much for the Lord, but God used him greatly. So there's a book called The Heavenly Man. So you can get that book online. And it's a very, very popular book and powerful testimony. And he even was able to be with the former president of the United States. And this is called Fang Chengxin, which is Nanyang. You know, Nanyang was in the Han Chao Dai, was, in, uh, was the administrative area in the Han Dynasty, okay, and uh, Liu Bei. So if you know Chinese history, Zhubei and Liu Galang, there was that area. That was the center of China in Nanyang. Fangcheng is a, is a district close to Nanyang. And uh, now there's about 20%, they told me then, that believed in Jesus. I don't know if it is the same thing now with persecution, but they call it the Jesus Nest. And here they're having a meeting in Fangcheng, preaching to 4,000 people uh, that are in the meeting. And this is where Hudson Taylor began his work. So these are the prayers that they're praying, you know, for revival, people to repent, unity, praying for the persecuted and whatever in the house church. And uh, so we're praying for the people to receive the Holy Spirit. And we've seen literally thousands of people, many are preachers receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, here we're training the people in Fengcheng to be missionaries. And we sent 15 of them to go to Sichuan. Uh, this guy here, Zhang Rongliang is the most famous 
uh, preacher in China who's still in China. He's been in prison many times. I've been in prison with him, by the way. You know, we arrested with him in 1994, but I was in a different place than he was. They treat us a little better than they do the Chinese people. And Ding He is one of the main ministers there in uh, Kunming now, training missionaries for back to Jerusalem. So anyhow, we sent 15 young people uh, to the mountain area to preach the gospel. And a year later, I went to that area, had to climb for four hours. There was no roads to go to this mountain area in Sichuan. And they'd never seen a foreigner before. I was the first foreigner to see. And they knew nothing about the rest of the world. They didn't even know that the Communist Party was in charge. They asked me, Lao Shi, Qing Wen Ni, who is the uh, emperor of China and what dynasty was. They hadn't even heard about the Communist Party, but they heard the gospel. And from 15 preachers, there were 15,000 believers. In one year's time, you talk about revival. It was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. They went and they prayed for the people. They healed the sick. They cast out the devils. They even raised some people from the dead. And I met the people that they raised from the dead. And because of those miracles, they came to the Lord. Uh, these are some of the house churches that have their own buildings. This is in Ningbo. And uh, uh, we went there and preached several years ago. Really, fires of revival are burning throughout China. Now, this is several years ago, and I don't know if it's the same today, but one of the Gongan, the police told me, there are 1.25 million people here. 300,000 are Christians. That's about 24% of the population. One of them was the the House of Praise had about a thousand people then. They had a lot of young people, a lot of young choirs because they were the House of Praise, of course, in worship and all spirit filled. We were very close to this particular church. I'm preaching for the people, praying for the people, praise the Lord that they would receive the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, they were persecuted. The pastor and his wife, uh, the pastor has now gone to America. I don't know if his wife is still there or not, but they closed the church down because it was such a revival church. Praise the Lord. But there's many official churches, and we've absolutely spoken in some of the official churches called Three Self Churches. Uh, here's some meetings uh, that are uh, in uh, one Joel. This was a house church, but they built their own church, a large building. Like I said, there's a lot of Christians in one Joel. And so they have a Bible school. They have a meeting place. This is my daughter. Of course, she used to travel with me all the time, and she even goes herself to China. She's very good at uh, song leading. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, they're going to leave tonight or tomorrow morning to be with their daughter who's going to have a baby. So I just told you that, you know, so pray for them that they will be safe because America is very dangerous because nobody wears face masks and they don't want to be vaccinated, you know, so pray they'll be safe. So here she is leading the songs and the worship and praise the Lord. And so we thank the Lord for what he's done in the churches in China. So these are some of the house churches. Let me tell you about God's word, the Bible. It's so important to have the Bible. That was our main ministry. Before, in the time of the Cold War, all of Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, uh, and China, Russia was closed. So uh, people would take Bibles, but it was very dangerous. Like in those days, uh, we would go to Russia, and this actually, you can't see it here, but this, this is the Russian Gospel of John. That's that small. So you can take several on your body, hoping you don't get found out. But at those days, and even today, People, we know people that do this, take the 
Bible to North Korea. This is the whole New Testament in Korean. So if you have the courage, if you're willing to be a martyr for Jesus, you know, you might think of going to North Korea and taking some Bibles. You won't be a martyr, but you might go to prison if they find out. So the nations were very, very difficult, but praise the Lord, they were close to gospel ministry other than just smuggling some Bibles. And in China, the Red Guards destroyed the Bibles. And no time we called it the Iron Curtain, if it was like the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. And here in Asia, we call it the Bamboo Curtain, uh, because you know, have a lot of bamboo, of course, in Asia. So this was in the time of the Cold War, the Cold War. But in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed and Eastern Europe opened, which is a great miracle. And I've been to all of Eastern Europe and been to Russia many, many times since then preaching the gospel. And then in 1978, Deng Xiaoping opened China. Well, we had then before that, we had a period of 10 years was the Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 1976. And so Chairman Mao wanted to make China pure communism, kind of like Albania, without any reformists like was happening in Russia. So there's a lot of persecution. These are Christians that are, uh, we call Bei Doujang. They were struggled against and they're perhaps going to go to prison. They may even lose their lives. So they only had uh, one book that the people could carry, and this is called Mao Zushi Yulu, The Thoughts of Chairman Mao. And I actually have one that a former Red Guard gave to me that was in the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, which is his poems. And these were the only books that people could have. They could not have the Bible, but everybody would have to take this and memorize it and use it all the time. And so... What happened, the Christians were struggled against Bei Doujang, and they were accused of believing in superstition. They would say, Niu Gui Shishan, that's just a word to describe superstition, and they would burn all of the Bibles. And uh, all the Bibles in China were burned. All the Christian books were uh, confiscated and burned. The preachers were uh, arrested and put in prison or sent to labor camp. We call it Lao Gai. And when China opened in 1978, the only Bibles were the hand-copied Bibles. So we realized that they needed the Bible. They needed to have the Word of God. And so what we did was that we began a ministry of taking the Bibles to China. So uh, this is a long time ago. This is my secretary, Sybil, who's here, and she has a book display at the back with some of the books you can produce. So this is when her... Her daughter was very, very young, but we had our people in our church as well as foreigners, Westerners who would come, and uh, we had, and we even today have many thousands of Bibles, and this is called the ministry called Donkeys for Jesus, and uh, so just like the donkey didn't have to know theology or didn't have to speak Greek or Hebrew or English or Chinese, just had to carry the load. So I told these people, you don't have to know anything about anything. Just carry the Bibles into China, be a donkey so they can have the Word of God. And each person would take up to 50 whole Bibles. They're very small Bibles, uh, very compact. And uh, we took in many millions of gospel tracts and different things. And here's a team of couriers from a particular church in America. They took in the Word of God, and here they were in the village, and so they get up in the morning. Each person was heavily packed with many, many Bibles, and some groups would deliver, like this is Marilyn Hickey brought a group, and they delivered 10,000 Bibles in one day. So I just want to show you that when I went to China, and I uh, met a group of Christians, and they told me in a certain place in Guangxi, there's 40,000 Christians that only have one Bible. And I said, 
I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you Bible. So that's why we began the ministry. And so um, they would then tell me they only had hand-copied Bibles. <clears throat> so <clears throat> they let me uh, have some of these to show to people so they could be uh, pray for them. And I found that most of them were actually the gospel, excuse me, the book of Acts, the book of Acts. So if you can only have one of the 66 books of the Bible, which would you like? Do you like Leviticus or, you know, something like that, Numbers? <laughs> Probably not. So they, the book of Acts. And so this is one of them. Uh, another one of them was uh, printed, a man that worked on the commune. And you couldn't get paper. There were so many Christians that communists said, no paper allowed, because the people had copied the Bible. Can you imagine that? You want to copy the Bible, but no paper. So this guy worked on the commune. So he, they would keep record of the people in the commune. And this was the official government record-keeping paper. You can read, if you want to see these after the meeting, you can look. And this tells the people in the commune. So he used the backside, and he copied the book of Acts on it. Praise the Lord. And uh, that would have been very dangerous had it been found out. But then one brother in one Joel, and uh, we know about this brother. I didn't meet him personally. But he made a stencil, and he produced by hand. He wrote in Ch uh, Chinese the whole New Testament, and he produced a 1,000 copies of this whole New Testament. And because of that, he was eventually found out. Someone left at the home when the Red Guards came by and found it and then traced it to this man. And he was executed. But in his execution, he was worshiping the Lord, just like Stephen. I see the Lord. The heavens are opened up and was blessing the people that killed him. And so they gave me many years ago another book that they said, this is the only one left in the world. It's the life of teachings of Jesus. And it uh, has pictures of Jesus and the disciples, but they're all Chinese. They're wearing Chinese clothes. And we found that they were not from the Qing dynasty, from the Ming dynasty. The last Chinese dynasty was the Ming dynasty before the Qing dynasty were the Manchurians. So a brother in our church, an American, uh, married to a Chinese sister, he spent three years to reproduce this book. And then he went to Guangzhou uh, to get the artists who were then very old that lived in the Qing dynasty to help him to touch it up. So he produced this book and we have printed copies of this book. And so uh, you can see that really Jesus, so Jesus is not a foreigner. He is one of our, our own uh, uh, Chinese people. So we have that and there's some copies at the back. Also uh, to preach the gospel, we produced uh, with another ministry, some cards that have the gospel explaining from the Chinese characters. Well, I had to get on. I have a lot to cover, just a few minutes. So we have this ministry called RCMI, Revival Chinese Ministries International. And now we're uh, providing funds to give Bibles to people in different nations. I'll just be quick. This is India, uh, Kenya, Tanzania. Uh, this is uh, orphans that are in Miramar. And... Uh, Uganda, Nigeria, we've like, I think, given about maybe up to close to 200,000 Hong Kong dollars in the last few months. So they can get Bibles to preach the gospel. This is Pakistan, and they go into the villages, mostly give to the Hindus because it's not easy to evangelize the Muslims. So they give to the Hindus and food relief. And uh, I have all, almost every week I have Zoom meetings in India and Pakistan teaching the people. They're out in the streets preaching the gospel and doing these things. Many people are being baptized. Burundi, uh, Bibles for that nation. 
this is, we have a work in Lebanon. So these are Arabic Bibles that they're getting for the work in Lebanon and Nepal and so on and so forth. And of course, China, there's a three self church and this is a village church where we get the Bibles, the big print Bibles because they're older people. And we also help them in some of their finances. Okay, just quickly, in closing, the Lord's Blessed Revival Christian Church, and as I said, we got a movie theater, and we've seen a lot of young people that want to get involved in the ministry, and we're training the young people. That's so very important. And you know, in 1 Timothy 4, I was just talking to Brother Bo about this, the young people, the best age to get someone in the church, if they're not Christians, is 13 to 15 years old. That's the best age in Hong Kong, at least for our experience. And you need to Train the youth, as Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Okay, then he says, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, and doctrine. Doctrine is so important. But then he says, don't neglect the gift that was given to you, that was given by prophecy. So in China and Hong Kong, we have prophets that come and lay hands on people, and they're already spirit-filled. But through prophecy, there's an impartation of gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is in the Bible. And so don't neglect the gifts. And then we need to carry on. So Paul says to Timothy, the things that you've heard, share with other people that can teach other people one after another. Well, like I said, the Lord blessed our church with a movie theater, and uh, we also have a lot of cell groups. And so in the New Testament, they met in the uh, temple, and also they met in the home. They broke bread in a different home. So just lastly, a few minutes, the importance of, of good teaching. That's why we give the Bible, because people need good teaching. They need the Word of God. And in revival, praise the Lord, there's repentance and there's prayer. Every revival begin with repentance. And then people in the holiness churches, they had what they call the second work of grace or sanctification. And in uh, spirit-filled churches called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But every revival emphasizes preaching, teaching, study, and the distribution of Bibles. So just quickly, I'll just tell you, these are the different revivals that happened in the 20th century, the Wealth Revival, the Kasha Hills Revival in Northeast India, the Azusa Street Revival, and of course the Great Korean Revival, Pyongyang, and then the Manchurian Revival in 1908. And it went with the Protestant Reformation. Before that, you had John Huss, who was the first reformer, a hundred years before Martin Luther, that was burned at the stake for preaching justification by faith. And then from that group, you had the Moravian and the first great Protestant revival. You know, the Moravians had a prayer meeting that lasted a hundred years. And think of that for one prayer meeting. And the slogan was, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And they sent so many missionaries all over the world. Like I said, in the West Indies, they sent missionaries, they were slaves. And when the actual missionaries came, uh, that they could legally come, there were already 13,000 converts. And the Methodist revival, I'm from the Methodist background, the first great awakening in America. I'm just going to quickly mention the second great awakening, revolutionized society, the third great awakening. And you had the revival in America that began with the prayer meeting at noontime. And through that prayer meeting, tens of thousands of people came to be Christians just by a noontime prayer meeting. Okay, so in Newark alone, 
50,000 people were saved because of a prayer meeting. So prayer and revival is related together. You have the same thing in the Ulster Revival and the Welsh Revival, uh, which was in Wales. And you know about Evan Roberts, a great revival, the Cashy Hills Revival. I go to these places all the time, like Magellan, uh, Nigelan, Megalaya, and Mizoram. They're like 98% Christian because of that revival, the great Pongyang Revival in 1907, the Manchurian Revival with Jonathan Goforth, the Azusa Street Revival that's directly related to our churches in America. From that came the great Pentecostal revivals, praise the Lord. And there were so many miracles that happened. And so Paul said that my preaching and my speaking was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you're interested, there's a book, it's quite expensive, called Miracles. It's $50 US, very expensive. But this scholar proves not only from the Bible, but from history, ancient history and modern history, that miracles do happen. They happen all over the world. You see, in, when they persecuted Peter and John, they, uh, Sanhedrin said, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, should we obey you or God? And the Bible says they saw the boldness and they realized they were unlearned and ignorant, but they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus, and they saw the healing. And then just lastly, a couple of minutes, and we'll be praying. I want to talk about power evangelism, the power of God. This is, I became a Christian because of the power of God. In China, I asked how many, so many people, why would you become a Christian and believe in Jesus? Because of the miracle signs and wonders that I saw. Same thing in Indonesia. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. John Song, I mentioned, led over 100,000 people to the Lord. He only preached for 15 years. It was because of the miracles. He'd go to a church like in Surabaya, Siswe in Indonesia. And as this woman said, when John Song came into the church, as he walked to the front, all the sick people were healed. The blind began to see. The crippled began to walk. Oh, and all kinds of sicknesses were healed. My church was related to the latter rain revival in 1948 when God restored the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And my pastor was there, began at a Bible school in North Battleford in Saskatchewan, a great revival. And now David's Tabernacle, worship and praise, the prophetic ministry, my two brothers in America, my church in Hong Kong, most of our churches in China have been tremendously impacted by the latter rain revival. When I was young in the 20th century, in the middle part, you could see miracles any day you wanted because there were these great healing revivals everywhere. We didn't know about prosperity gospel. We didn't hear about the word of faith or any of those things or hyper grace. We just preached repentance, holiness, prayer and fasting. Every meeting was at least two to three hours. We came to church an hour before and we go on the street and preach, but there were miracles. These people now, I know Earl Roberts, I knew about William Branham, Jack Cole, A. Allen, I met to his meetings, and Catherine Kuhlman and Gordon Lindsay, but I didn't know Amy Simple McPherson or Smith Wigglesworth. They were before my time. But these are some of the people. Earl Roberts, you could go any night of the week and see miracles. Teal Osborne, I know him. He went to Africa, India. Many, many healings and miracles took place of that. Now, because of this worldwide Pentecostal movement and the preaching of the gospel, there's no less than 640 million 
Pentecostals, spirit-filled people in the world today. Reinhard Bakke was our good friend. I've been in his house. He, we've taken to China, my daughter interpreted for him. Here he has a crusade of 100,000 people preaching in his last crusade in Nigeria. 845,000 people found the Lord in the crusade. Now, uh, Daniel Kalinda, who we know very well, is taken over with the same thing. And then in the 1960s, God sent the charismatic movement when no longer was the man of God for the hour, the man on the stage, the man doing the miracles. Every believer had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and do the miracles. And then there was boldness, and that came, praise the Lord. So just closely, do we want the real thing? We, or just do we want a lot of charismatic hype? The real gospel, the real revival is based on repentance, preaching the full gospel. Because of that, there's solid church growth that people will be converted to Christ and there'll be world missions. Now, false revival is based on preaching men-pleasing philosophies. You see church growth, but through church transfer, not because the gospel is being preached to the lost, because your program attracts people. They like your music. They like your, uh, your eloquent speaker uh, because the message doesn't offend them and it pleases them, so they come to your church. That is not revival. It actually sometimes is the opposite of revival. It will not impact culture, not influence the world missionary movement. True revival comes when people repent and pray. As God said, if the people will repent and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will hear their land. So when true full gospel is preached, the doctrines are based upon the evangelical doctrines, not a lot of these crazy things we're hearing today, conspiracy theories about COVID-19 and Donald Trump and 666. Have you heard that? Don't get the vaccine because there will be computer chips that are going to give you Antichrist will control you. All this kind of stuff. The true gospel preaches Jesus Christ. John G. Lake started the apostolic faith church that I preached for in South Africa. Now 1.2 million people. Full gospel businessmen. I knew Demas Shakarian. The full gospel businessmen are everywhere. In Hong Kong, we have Hugo Ching and the people. These are some of the foundational truths that we need to base the Bible upon. Not prosperity gospel that you give to the preacher. Who becomes prosperous? It was the preacher, not the people. But they say, you will get back from God in proportion to what you give. How ridiculous. It is a misuse of the scripture. The Bible doesn't teach that. Hyper grace, which is very common today. Believe in Jesus. Your past, present, and future sins are forgiven. You never need to confess the sins or repent. Of course, people love that. And then the hyper faith teaching. Whatever you want, name it and claim it, visualize and it is yours. These will get you a big church. When I went to Bible school, the first day, the professor said, do you guys in Bible college want to have a big church? Of course, that's why we're in Bible college. We want to have a good church. He said, just preach what people want to hear. You'll have a big church, but don't preach the gospel. And we have worship services that are just entertainment. Now, we're not against effects like sound effects, like, uh, you know, you have smoke machines and you have lights. We have them in our own church. But the worship needs to be worship to God. A lot of these are just rock concerts that please people. Sadly, you know the news. Recently, there's been scandal after scandal in these mega churches uh, among the leaders because they're not preaching the gospel. Lastly, we need 
unity. We need unity. And the unity comes among us preaching the full gospel, preaching the true gospel. So Paul says that there should be no division among you, that you should be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. This is what we're seeing in Hong Kong. Praise the Lord. In 1969, when I came to Hong Kong, there were 400 small churches. The biggest was the Kowloon Baptist Church. Most of them were against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we have, what, a 1,000 400 or some churches. We have big churches. Our church is fairly large. And we have some churches or mega churches, uh, thousands of people. And we have a very large percentage are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's really wonderful. So Seth and us, we go to a pastor's uh, prayer breakfast uh, once a month and many evangelicals and other people are there. Unity and revival. Jesus said that when they uh, are one, uh, let me just say there quickly I don't pray for them but pray for those that believe in me through your word that they may be one as you father are in me and I in you that they may be one and of us the world may believe that you sent me so when there's unity evangelism is very simple as in China they had the three self church and because not because of political reasons but because doctrines because the teaching before in the three self church was not preaching the Bible then we had the house church and the government forbid all the denominations, so they're just called Christians, praise the Lord. And uh, so now we had this great house church movement. A few years ago, an official in Fuzhou, uh, he was over religion. He said, He said, in the house church alone, there's 72 million believers, praise the Lord. There's an open door. It is time to preach the gospel. Okay, I've gone a little bit over my time, but let's just have a, a worship song and just pray. And uh, if you do need prayer, if you need the Holy Spirit, uh, if you need uh, to be healed, we'd be very glad to pray with you and to ask God to bless you. Praise the Lord. Uh, I've tried to cover a lot, but my heart is about missions. And if you want to know, Lord, we have some books, uh, two books. It's called China's Opening Door, a lot about the revival in China, about the history of the revival in China, and then my own testimony is uh, called uh, One Journey, One Nation. And if you'd like to look at any of these uh, hand-copied Bibles, you can, but don't take them away. You know, I, two years ago, I sent them to the Bible Museum in uh, Washington because they're very valuable. I told them about So they purchased $1 million, U.S. dollars, uh, of the insurance for it because they're very valuable. So if you would like to look at those, you can after over. Okay, give it over to Pastor Seth. So um, sorry taking so long, but it's okay. <laughs> praise Come the on, Lord. It's the history of Christianity, and that's awesome. And this is why we're part of a, a greater church, the move of God and what he's doing. And we're just grateful that we have a, a legend uh, who has uh, experienced and seen so much. And I think what he shared towards the end was also a good reminder for us. Um, there's a lot of people who know how to build a big church. You just give money. I don't know. You could do a lot of stuff. Song and dance. You could do a lot of stuff to build a big church. But we're not here to build a big church. And I'm reminded once again, it's about preaching the gospel and prayer. And the thing that we've been emphasizing a lot is discipleship. 
And if we don't raise up a next generation of people who love God, willing to lay down their life for the gospel, respond to his call, uh, then we're going to miss a whole generation. But this is where the faithfulness of God comes in. He always raises up a handful of people. He raises up a church or churches who still want to seek after God and do the will of God to fulfill the Great Commission. And I think uh, Christian Revival Church, uh, they're one of them. There are so many others. There's so many good pastors, so many good churches here in Hong Kong. And I believe that God's going to do some great things. Can I just challenge us as we've been hearing just, just the history of Christianity? We listen to some of these words, the Word of God brought forth to us as we read the readings my challenge is what are we going to do now what are we going to do now and so what i want to do is just have us can we just bow our heads for a moment uh, i i know it's kind of coming coming to our time but let's not leave here without really spending this time in prayer and responding to god i think this is a great opportunity for all of us really listen to the Holy Spirit and then after a little bit uh, Pastor Dennis he'll be up here and he'll love to pray for you um, Pastor Bo and myself and we're gonna we'll be praying and we're gonna ask God to do something powerful let's just be open to the Holy Spirit and what he's gonna do but can I challenge us with a couple things first of all just will you just stick out your hand just right in front of you and there's two things that I want to challenge you with as you look at your hands for a moment. First of all, what is the idol and what is the thing that's in your hand that you're holding on to that is greater than Jesus in your mind, in your perspective? But as we know from the truth, Jesus is greater. The reason why we have idols and we hold on to it is because we're afraid, we're insecure. We think that this is going to provide something for us. For some of us, it's your grades. Some of us, it's your job, comfort, future family, success, pleasing your parents. There's a lot of stuff that's in our hands. And what God wants from us is to let those things go. And then let him give you something in your hands, which is the second thing. What is it that he's placing in your hands? that he desires for you to be faithful, to use, and to glorify him. I want to give us about a minute or so, and let, let's let the Holy Spirit do that work in our hearts. Whatever it is that's holding us back, that you're holding on to, let's try to let go of those things, and then hold on to the things that God is giving us. It might be a vision. It might be something that he spoke to you about. I mean, just can you imagine just hearing the gospel for the first time and then repenting and the next day you're preaching the gospel just that obedience of the leading of the holy spirit come on let's let's just communicate with the lord and just let the holy spirit speak to you and say god i don't have much to offer but here i am whatever you desire for me to do whatever mission field that you're calling me to the people that you want me to love we need a move of god in our midst. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Come on, let's lift our voices together. Can we do that? Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.